hello a few friends there. Thank you for joining us. Hi everyone. Hi. Being on time. And early even. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Hi, everyone. Great. Thanks for being online. So. Hi, Osman. <laughs> Sorry, we have a good little group here. Yeah. Yeah. This is as well. Can I just say that I was also looking for the background option, but I don't have it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You're right. Okay. <laughs> I got my camera. I was like, I should do something about this. Pretty ugly. Leonie really knows how to do it, though. No, no, look at her. <laughs> I've got Tristan here to deal with it. <laughs> oh, I love that plant. I killed mine. Oh, I'm in reverse. Yeah, it's a really <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, this is good. We've got. Tried to find our own plant, but yeah, um, we couldn't find it. <laughs> we couldn't find one. Mark's got a beautiful plant. Hi, we are in two locations, so we are meeting on the traditional country of the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We do pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and also to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here tonight. Thank you for being here on time. I do want to get to know you a little bit better. So could you just put in the chat which city and how you identify culturally? So which city you're in and how you identify culturally? I'm in Sydney and I identify as an Australian woman, but it's not always an easy question to answer. So if it's complicated, just write it's complicated. Harry is in Sydney. Hi, Harry. Hi, Mark. Hi, Harry. <laughs> Hi, you have... Hi. Hi, Mark. <laughs> I love seeing those little pop-ups. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hi, Mark. John, Brisbane, Greek. Oh. Ladians. Yes, yeah. we have a quite a diverse group here. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> That's beautiful. I like that. Thank you, Harry. I'm in Sydney and I'm from African, um, so Arabic culture, mixed French culture. Wow. Adelaide, Malaysian, Chinese. Such a diverse group. Mm. We should have a, really great. a group picture at the end. <laughs> Does everyone want to turn on their camera? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> going to. Oh, hi, Gina. <laughs> I recognize many things. Really nice. And a, a Polish Adelaidean. I love that. Thank you. Well, yes. So, there will be question. There will be the opportunity for you to ask questions this evening, but I do ask that you pop it in the chat. I've got my chat open, so do just put any questions here. I've also got Tristan here, so 
if I don't pick up your question straight away, he will try and let me know and we'll try and get to them either while we're chatting or by the end of the interview. I do want to hear your stories as well. So hopefully we'll have enough time at the end to hear your stories also. And feel free to connect with each other. If you see somebody say something you like, then try and connect with them, even with your LinkedIn URL or any other way. So now I would like to introduce you to, first of all, Maggie Lee from KPMG. She's a manager at KPMG in restructuring services. And she's over nine years experience in the field of corporate restructuring and insolvency, assisting with exit strategies, stakeholder liaison, and works across a diverse, a diverse range of industries. She has a Master's of Commerce and a Bachelor in Finance from Adelaide or University of Adelaide. And she's a member of the Chartered Accountants, ANZ, and ARITA. I've captured a quote from Maggie. Having grown up in China, I am passionate about bringing diverse voices and minds into the workplace and promoting workplace equality and diversity. Now, I'm going to also introduce Catherine Lethbridge and then I can give them a very warm welcome. Catherine works for a startup called Work Factor and she's also been a marketing executive for a well-established South Australian IT consultancy company called Chamonix IT. And she was the Fatchi state manager for South Australia, which is where I met her. And her quote, I re oh, no, let me tell you a little bit about her education. She's got a master's, degrees, a master's degree in finance and economics from the University of Paris too, and a postgraduate certificate in marketing and digital communications from Monash University. Her quote is, after living in five different countries and through two career changes, I've learned to embrace changes as the fastest way to learn and grow. So... Maggie Lee and Catherine Lethbridge, welcome. Hi, guys. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, we're very, very excited to be sharing a little bit of our journey um, with you. And, um, you know, I'd love to hear from you and after the, the event and to see if um, this has helped anyone in any way to adapt to their new workplace or new country, really. Yeah. What about you, Maggie? Um, I'm uh, so thank you for having us today and um, uh, same as Catherine I'm very excited to be able to share my story with you tonight so hopefully you'll enjoy the session <laughs> yes yeah and we will put a slide up at the end of this with Maggie and Catherine's URL for their LinkedIn so you can connect and make that will make it a bit easier as well I own and run a company called English for Business and I'm constantly talking about communication and I realized I wanted to start tonight's presentation or interview with a bit of a frame. This is what I'm always telling people because I work with people not only with English and improving proficiency, but also with conflict, culture, how to structure presentations and many other things. So I wanted to share a little hypothesis that I have and I'm going to keep measuring the stories that I hear against this hypothesis. So I want you to think about it, and I would love to hear what Kathy, Catherine and Maggie here say as well. So if everyone has supreme skills in communication and we had a very open space for dealing with conflict, we wouldn't have to discuss diversity, equity and inclusion. However, we are human, we have biases and we make mistakes. 
And these three factors can offend people, hopefully without intent. So how we deal with offence is what determines us as people. It determines the level of equity and inclusion in the workplace, as well as the harmony and thriving of diverse workplaces and societies. So that's my little hypothesis. So maybe that's a good point to throw over to Catherine and Maggie um, to respond to that, but also maybe share a bit about your identities. Well, it's an interesting hypothesis. I think that um, most people think of, um, you know, conflict because this is what we're talking about, isn't it? If we could communicate really well, language is not a barrier, um, but we still live with our bias and what we learn and grow up with. And it will become at some point in time conflictual. So people will live with conflict. But my personal thought is conflict is not always something that is bad or negative or you must avoid. In fact, conflict is can be very healthy and can uh, conflict can help you grow as a person. Uh, for me, the difference between you know a healthy conflict and a less healthy conflict is the intent behind it. What are we trying to produce when we actually communicate and talk to other people and disagree? So we're touching really border on psychological safety here in terms of communication. Are we creating a safe place for people to probably disagree is what I'm getting um, at from this hypothesis. What do you think, Maggie? Um, I think as much as we don't like confrontations and conflict, I think we actually need it. Um, you know, that's how we get different perspective. That's how we constantly challenge ourselves, uh, the way, you know, us thinking, and then that's how we get better. So I think, you know, we in a way, we do need it. <laughs> I do. I do agree. Awesome. Um, yeah, that, that idea of needing it rather than trying to avoid it, I think. Yeah, yeah, mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Our heads around at times. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. And, um, and you, you mentioned the identity and mm -hmm. how we identified ourselves. Well, I had a bit of a complicated story. Mm -hmm. um, I... <laughs> I, I was born in Vietnam, and because of the war and the embargo um, from the American, my family actually was on the wrong side of the war, and we flee, we flew um, in a plane to France. We were welcomed by a country we couldn't speak the language of. Uh, my family was very Vietnamese and traditional Vietnamese, um, so I grew up in a family environment which... Uh, was fully traditional, but my upbringing and I was raised by, um, you know, a French culture. So there was a lot of conflict within me and myself. There was two different contexts of communication I couldn't quite reconcile when I grew up. Um, so I identify myself as a third culture child. So I didn't really belong in one or the other. I never felt I did. Um, and I learned to actually bridge gaps between those two um, different culture. And when I moved overseas many times over, mm -hmm. I actually found a good medium in Australia here. So, yes, yeah, so that was uh, an interesting discovery for myself. Yeah. Um, for me, I guess it is a tricky question. <laughs> so for me, I think, uh, you know, having growing up in China, and then study in uni, um, uh, find a job, live here in Australia. I feel like I'm constantly traveling between these two, you know, 
two zones, Chinese, Australian, Australian, Chinese. It is confusing, um, but in a, in a way it's fascinating and it has its own challenges because sometimes the, the, the line become very blurry. It's almost like I'm stepping in and out of two zones all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yeah. exhausting, I imagine, in many ways. Interesting as well. <laughs> It is, yeah. because you can see, so, for example, the uh, mm -hmm. funny thing is I'm way too loud for being a Vietnamese, uh, <laughs> you know, um, housewife, <laughs> and, and I would speak back too much. But in France, I'm not direct enough, so I, uh, yeah. I don't speak up my mind enough and yeah. say what I So I never actually fully, you know, belong anywhere. Yeah. So yeah. that was the anecdotal, but. Yeah, I think, Catherine, that point, I remember you telling me that when we had that first coffee and that's what caught my attention and inspired me to pull together this interview, in fact, because mm -hmm. I've often felt that Australia in many ways was between that direct and indirect types of communication. I think some people find us direct, some people find us very indirect. So I think that middle ground is an interesting point. And I guess for me, it's always about asking lots of questions. I have a hypothesis and I asked Catherine, she said, yes, other people don't. <laughs> so Catherine, you've worked in five different countries. Has anything been easier here than other places you've worked? So you mentioned the communication, but maybe in other areas too. So when I, I traveled um, in five different countries, every time it, it was never easy. First of all, saying goodbye was really hard. Uh, knowing that you may not come back um, was really heartbreaking for me. So it's never been easy in that you know, sense. And um, trying to adapt to a new country, new language, new etiquette, building your own network again, you know, it requires building trust again, proving yourself every time you can do it and also proving it to others was a very difficult um, I find it really challenging, but what really kept me going is that I found groups of people who had a similar interest to me and um, where I felt that I could belong, even if it was temporary. So in Australia, when I arrived, I actually was shocked because I had all those cliches in my head. I thought I was going to land in a country where everyone was blonde and tanned <laughs> and surfed um, in the morning and in the evening um, and that wasn't the case <laughs> so something had to you know I had to reconcile something yeah. there so what what I found though is that the people were extremely welcoming with me um, and some I found a great group of people so that made it a little bit easier um, so that's probably is my take on, you know, mm. when you start again somewhere, somewhere new, mm. uh, try to have, you know, experience curiosity with other, mm. um, ask a lot of questions, be trying to make those connections to make yourself feel at home a little bit more. Mm. I moved countries twice. I moved to France and then to the Netherlands and both times and then back home to Australia. So it felt like three times really because it was a completely different experience coming back to Australia. But it took me almost a year to the day before I felt like I made friends or had that network organised at least a little bit more functionally. Has there been 
time frames you've rec recognized like that? Yes. But Maggie, what, mm. what's your experience? Um, I think for me, um, I came here as an international student. So I attended the uni and then um, uh, oh, I think um, back then it was it was hard because yes. being a sort of you know, person in their 20s. Um, but then I think what, what was sort of inspired me was that people um, were so like Catherine was mentioning, was were, were very welcoming. So I had good friends who invited me to, um, you know, their life, if you like. They showed me around. And then um, that, that's how I, you know, find the confidence to actually open up and reach out to those people because I feel like they invited me in and then I'm not part of it. So that that's how I, you know, where I build my confidence and then, um, in the field, you know, then later on when I searching for jobs, similar thing happened to me too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, they're two very different experiences, aren't they? Mm, 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 I, yeah. I recollect having, because you mentioned your, your student years, I yeah. remember living in Ireland and mm -hmm. Dublin mm. and I couldn't find a house at the time. And right. for the last house that I visited yeah. was... Uh, five Irish lads, literally, I call them lads because that's really, they were just so easy going and they took me under, you know, the, yeah. the umbrella and just, I was one of them. I was like the six lads and <laughs> they took me everywhere. So I, I never drank a beer yeah. before, yeah, yeah. let alone a Guinness, but they say, just try it. And so, you know, helping me integrate mm. um, and sharing all those little uh, celebrations yeah, that they have made me yeah. fully into you know I felt really integrated mm -hmm. it was lovely it's yeah. just those inclusive kind of um things that they did for me yeah so yeah, yeah. yeah same here yeah positive experiences and as part mm -hmm. of the registration post process for this interview I asked people if they had any questions so we've actually taken quite a few questions from those ones that people asked and one of them was uh, what can international staff members do to get out of their head and try to assimilate into a new environment as more often as not action towards not? So how can they try and assimilate into their new environment? And this word assimilate is is very dangerous, I think. But <laughs> what you think. Yeah, yeah. You want to go first or what? For me, yeah. So there's a couple of things. First, I, I have banned from my vocabulary the word staff. So I just want to mention that because yeah. staff I thought too. <laughs> this wasn't inclusive enough. So I often use the term, and you'll hear me often saying team and team members. And, you know, so I consider everyone an equal, whether I am at a leadership position or not. So uh, the second part to this is for me, trying to assimilate means being curious and developing a healthy curiosity about meaningful differences. So it's not, you know, forcing oneself to be like another person or forcing the other person to integrate with who you are, but it's more putting aside the judgments and the stereotypes you might have to develop meaningful connections, to navigate those new environments. So I find, for example, that mm. if I ask someone about their favorite food, it's such a safe ground mm. to actually share common uh, love for 
you know, an exotic dish or something like that. So mm-hmm. for me, it's more about effectively observing what other people really like mm-hmm. and just trying to build those bridges and connections. So, yes. Yeah. Um, I guess if there's one thing I can say is don't be too harsh on people who come from a different background because um, I think, you know, um, naturally it is hard to adjust into a new workplace, you know, either because in either it's a country or a new workplace. It's so natural. And um, and you don't have to be the same. You can be your own person. So you don't have to assimilate. Um, I guess, you know, flowers and sunset, they're, they're both beautiful and they look nothing alike and nobody tried to make them the same. So why, why are you making other people the same? So... Um, when I first started working, I was the only Asian person in the office. So, and um, my colleagues, they were so welcoming and um, they they made me so comfortable. So I could jump those hurdles and actually open up and reach out. Um, it would be similar thing to, you know, you don't invite yourself to someone else's house. So you wait for them to invite you. And then once you're in there, um, you can sort of, uh, try to observe like what Catherine was saying and then trying to become a family. But the thing is to imply that international staff members need to get out of their head, I think it's a bit unfair. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I think that word assimilation, yeah, means to become same. And Yeah, yeah. And the beauty about, you know, diversity and inclusion is you're comfortable with who, they, who you are and you are valued and you are respected for being who you are, not someone who you should be. Yeah. Now the next question is: Is tokenism a necessary evil? Oh, that is a tricky question. <laughs> That's um, yeah. You want to go first? Oh, I should. I, should. I, I, I think first. you should go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I think look, diverse people. You know, people from diverse background. They have a lot to offer, but quite often they don't get the opportunity. So personal example is when I when I finished uni and starting to searching for, you know, um, professional jobs, there were so many times people, I was told, look, Maggie, you should change your family name to a Western name because in that case, you were more likely to get a, a, a chance in, in terms of a formal interview. So I didn't do that, but I still got an interview. So but the thing is, I think naturally if you hire people based on their merits, you, you're going to have non-white people. It's just, you know, that's how the population works. And if you look around and there's no, say, female staff, is that the problem of the female staff? Of course not. It's a problem of your hiring process. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, so I reject the idea that, um, you know, a foreigner or someone from a diverse background is hired as a token. I, I don't believe I was ever hired as a token. I believe I was hired because I could do a good job. Yeah, what about you, Catherine? <laughs> yeah, I, it's a hard um, question. It is a difficult question because I, I wondered now at times if I was hired for <laughs> to fill in the picture. Now, I, so I just want to get something out of the way. Hiring should always be based on talent. Absolutely, yeah. Never, yeah. ever because you want someone to be representative of a minority group. Yeah. Yeah. First, it's demeaning, it's, un, it's unfair, it puts pressure on this person who yeah. didn't choose that mm-hmm. to represent the rest of his its community so for me it's a big 
it's not necessary, completely unnecessary. But I would quote also someone who I admire very much about their work on uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And this person is American Chinese. Um, they they go by there um, and um, huge advocate for diversity um, in America. So they say that you know if you want to have more inclusive play space, just get people who will advocate for this in on their own terms. Invite consultants if you must, or advisors, or uh, create a place where diversity is actually operationalized, not just being branded as a policy, um, but in you know creating affinity groups, um, uh, creating talks that actually in, are inclusive of other people's interests, celebrations, that sort of thing. So I think that if you think that you've been hired and there's a great, beautiful, shiny policy about diversity, but you don't experience it in the workplace, then that's tokenism. And I would pull it out. Is it so hard to, or why is it so easy to have a policy and not implement it? Because I guess we do see a lot of quotas and targets. Why is that a bad thing? Because it would feel like we're trying to achieve the policy then. Unfortunately, we need incentives. So we always need, you know, a kick in the pants. So a metric that will help the company measure Mm -hmm. this, um, whether or not they achieve. But in terms of whether it is true and lived through, you'll see it in a company's culture. Yeah. And I guess it is hard, like we can say it's the responsibility of the hiring process, but I think for people when they're entrenched in their way of thinking, and I don't say that we're any of us are exempt from that in many ways, mm. but how do we step outside our way of thinking to change hiring processes? I don't know. That's a big question. I don't know if you have an answer for that, but it's a complicated area. Yeah, it is. Um, Graham is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. It, it is difficult. Um, I guess. Sorry, I think no, that's right. The person, it's a person in the background. <laughs> Evening, kids are around, dogs are around. It's yeah, different. yeah, that's all right. But I, I'm, I'm actually interested in knowing even from our um. Yeah, our audience. Yeah, our, you know, what you guys think. What do you yeah, guys think? Some things in the chat because I've got the chat open right here, so I can. Mm-hmm. See. Yeah, I it is a it is a tricky question. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that it it's as an interviewee, it starts from the 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 job interview. You mm. can actually ask those questions. Mm. What are you doing in the mm. workplace that will promote inclusivity? Right. Um, and don't brand you know that policy because policy is great, but what are the actual actions mm. you you're doing to make sure that everyone feels like they're inclusive. Yeah, that's a fair question to ask in an interview, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. What I'll do is I'll offer that as a question to the audience as well and we'll circle back around at the end of the interview to see if anybody's had any experiences that are positive or negative. So mm-hmm. next question, how can you get over the tone of sharpness and bullying in conversations and satire and how do you respond in the best way? Hmm. Should I go first? <laughs> um, I guess we need to make this clear. Bullying is never okay. So if if 
you know, the person who's asking this question, they experience bullying, then just call them out. Because we tell our children, bully is never okay, and it's not acceptable. And there's no reason why we shouldn't do the same. Um, but I guess, you know, my personal experience, I, I've worked with people who's extremely supportive, and they open. And I've also worked with people who are not quite supportive and open. Uh, you know, despite English being my second language, I can still tell whether this person was actually joking, so a friendly joke, or they're just trying to tease me, but they hide behind, behind their jokes. So I guess whether you respond to that is your personal choice. However, it's important to recognize that you're feeling because you know that was not a joke. Oh, sorry, that was not a friendly joke. So it's important that you recognize your own feeling, your hurt, and that was not okay. But then I guess to the person who's making the joke and trying to hide behind it, they just coward because they couldn't say it due to the policies or they know it's wrong. But if they say it in a jokingly way and then if I react, then they might be saying, oh, Maggie can't even take a joke. Mm. But the reality is the intention was they were trying to tease me. Mm. Yeah, so I think important, you recognize your own feelings and you know that was not a joke and you're hurt. But then again, if you want to respond, there are some techniques you can. Again, I think it's just to how you reconcile with yourselves. So if you think, look, I'm going to, you know, you know, get over it mm. and they're not going to respond, then you might you have to be prepared that it might happen again. And when it happens again, are you able to take it again? So those are the questions you have to ask yourself. And if you don't respond to that, does that deliver the message that you agree with with their statement? Because it's quite likely it will happen again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think going back to my thesis in the beginning it's that mm. we can manage conflict even if it's our own conflict and you find mm. something that's upsetting how mm. can we communicate that to say I am upset by what you've said mm. or I find that a little frustrating or whatever it is to be, actually acknowledge what the feeling is that it gave you to that person it can be quite confronting but yeah. I think rather than losing it and crying or something but to actually just face it head on with an acknowledgement of feeling maybe is something but yeah. you know, I don't want to school people but I, I think a lot about this conflict and that that thesis of if we could have more open conversations about these things it wouldn't be a problem because we could just say it but of course it creates drama yeah Catherine what do you think well I this is a it is actually a tough situation and tough question and I hope that my answer and Maggie's answer will help other people like to deal with bullying. So mm -hmm. first of all, when I arrived in Australia, I don't even, I didn't even know what the term bullying means. Mm -hmm. meant. I had never heard about that term. Mm -hmm. And I experienced bullying firsthand. I've experienced humiliation, um, public humiliation, and it was really hard. And I wasn't equipped at all to answer um, that situation. I chose to look away uh, like most of us would do yeah. if they were not equipped. Yeah. I chose to just resent and grudge um, mm. instead of actually going to the perpetrator and said this wasn't okay. In fact, this was someone who was also at management level. So I felt really lost um, and not being able to speak up. Mm. Uh, I didn't feel like the workplace was supportive. It was public. 
So we have to see that. So let's just say that bullying should be also educated. And thank goodness in schools, in my children's schools, they all are recognizing bullying and harassment and that type of thing. So I'm so grateful this mm. is actually happening from, you know, um, education. Yeah. But as in how to deal with that in the workplace, nobody ever taught teach you how to deal with that. So there is tactics. So if if your workplace is actually inclusive of this, they will train you to respond and recognize it. Mm -hmm. And without willing like you to school anyone here, I know now that I can actually stand up and say, stop, this is not okay. I am not comfortable with what you just did. And you don't have to do it um, publicly because counter- interacting that kind of negativity with another negative you know behavior is not okay either Mm -hmm. but I would say to people it's really uncomfortable but ask yourself if this was happening to someone else would you be okay with this Mm. so why would you accept it for yourself Mm. so I would go be direct be concise but call it out that would be my way of dealing with it now Mm. yeah great yeah helpful I think another question does gender compound the cultural challenge has the challenge increased with the pandemic Uh, well I think um yes but not necessarily compounding I think because you know being that minority Asian female speaking English as a second language they have its own unique challenges so they are there's additional challenges we need to deal with. And in terms of the pandemic, I think because of the pandemic, so many people um, had to isolate uh, or they, you know, so many states went into lockdowns. Now, this actually highlights the importance of belonging. You know, you, you're part of a group, uh, you're accepted by the people. So I guess in a way, uh, it, it brought us together. So we all experience some degree of, you know, we, we feel lost, we don't feel belong. And that's, what I feel constantly. So I guess in a way it has brought us together because we experience the same. Mm. Mm. I think that for me, I have a different views on that. Yeah. Um, I think that compounding effect could be quite discriminatory for mm. some people, you know, um, mm-hmm. especially in some industries where it's either male or female dominated. You mm. feel like you have to fit in a mold, and the challenge would be actually breaking out of that mold. Yeah. You know what people are expecting from you because that's what they've seen, and that's the pattern you repeat. Now, in terms of how the pandemic has changed um, those mm. you know, views and stereotypes, I think that the great attrition in US <laughs> has started something quite new. People do not care anymore about you know what the workplace is doing, provided they actually making sure that talents are being retained for so so becoming your whole self at work become extremely important in mm-hmm. people's view so the in fact the pandemic like you said very well though is yeah. that it's brought us more together because people are more concerned about retaining talent regardless of you know that those um, biases or stereotypes uh, it's more important you have someone who is happy in the workplace and is happy to work and stay. Yeah, um, so it, yeah. for me, I think it's brought things us back together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually, I think it just makes you reflect and then 
you know, think out, think about what you really want for your life, for your work. And I said you are, you know, the company or the organization should respond the same way because that's what the, the, the employee wants. They don't want just to, you know, stay home or, you know, go to the office. They want a combination or they want flexible working policies. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that we saw the same shifting of workplaces happening in Australia, maybe not to the same degree, but I saw a lot of movement in the workplace and even Mm -hmm. movement within organisations, of course, you know, Mm -hmm. selling and buying of companies. But there were a lot of people jumping to other organisations. I guess it was an opportunity to find a better reality from different companies as well or at least aiming for that. So I guess it's hard to measure if there were more women doing that or looking for a better deal or not. But, um, yeah, I guess we can only talk about our feelings and, and our observations. Yeah. But yeah, from where I was sitting, I didn't really see and maybe I wasn't focusing on the gender element of it so much. So that's why it is interesting to hear your perspective. Did you Do you feel that women were more likely to move around and look for a better working environment mm. uh, I can answer that one yeah um, so uh, for me the pandemic has completely shifted um, you know it, it had somehow it had enabled me it had enabled my career as a woman I was um I will always remain first and foremost a mother and so I desperately need that flexibility and my husband does that as well but we just have different way of seeing it. And for me, it was always ingrained in me that I am the one who just look after the children and be the primary carer. And when the pandemic happened, you know, it's it was like redefining completely what it meant to be flexible mm-hmm. in the workplace. Yeah. It wasn't necessary anymore of being able to drop your children off and pick them up. It meant for me, you know, I work at my own pace. If my most productive time was between 5 a.m. and 8, then be it. That's what I do. Uh, as long as I adapt, you know, to my team and how they work. Um, if I needed to just finish at three, because that's, you know, three uh, after starting at five, I'm pretty dead. But um, it's just, it's just completely redefine it. And when I interviewed with my current startup, that was perfectly fine. And I said, that's it. I don't care anymore about anything else. For me, it was just giving me the flexibility to enable me in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't mean, you know, nine to five. Yeah. And that was perfect. So, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. We're, we're heading in the gender direction a little bit, but it is interesting to think that the pandemic may have made life a little bit easier for some people in some respects of their lives. Yeah. Mm. Flexibility. This is somewhat related, this question. So how have you dealt with the challenges of navigating the corporate ladder, being a woman and of a different background to the majority representation in the Australian corporate workforce? Hmm, what a long question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think um, it's uh, it's certainly not easy and I'm I'm, I'm still learning. It's, It's a constant learning curve. Um, I guess I was fortunate to be surrounded by people who really value diversity and inclusion and make me feel really comfortable so I can do, you know, I can sort of uh, achieve my my goals. Um, how do I deal with it? Is I think you, my, my thing is I just being me, being authentic, because that's the only way we can deal with it. Um, I'm not trying to be someone 
some other person think I should be. I'm just being me. And fortunately, they're happy to see me being me. Um, I guess it, it can be hard if you work in a workplace where they just can't seem to see the value of diversity and inclusion. If that happens, it might be a question to you, you know, whether that's someone you want to work for or not. As you go along, you will get a sense of what works and what um, doesn't work for you. And, you know, that's how you sort of um, evaluate and um, make your own assessment. Um, I guess basically it's just, it's, it's not easy. So, and it doesn't get easier, <laughs> uh, but you can certainly get better at it. So if uh, if that can be a bit, um, mm. yeah, that's a tricky one. Oh, I would also like to highlight um, mentoring. So I've both, I've benefited from both being a mentor and mentee. And I think there's the importance of, uh, you know, mentoring. Mm. So that's, that's something I would highlight too. Yeah. What about you, Catherine? Maggie, so, while you're on that point, sorry, Catherine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just one of the questions in the chat. Um, yeah. Vico is many companies say they are pro-diversity and may even have a diverse workforce, but once yeah. you start working there, it becomes clear that it was all lip service. What are some of the red flags to watch out for during the or during the interview or even when you're in the workforce, I guess? Mm-hmm. So maybe part of my experience can answer partially this question. So um, like Maggie, I, I think first of all that being, you know, from different cultural background and the women, maybe not be easy to actually help you navigate the corporate ladder. But what I found and holds true everywhere I've been is that my purpose in the workplace. So I really need to align with the company. So in fact, when I go to an interview, I do announce and say, it's great uh, that you want to interview interview me but I'm interviewing you as a company as well Mm -hmm. and so I have very specific questions that I need answers to so for me it's about okay are you aligning with my own core value as a person um what I ask myself what can I bring to this workplace am I in the right workplace also to thrive what are the trainings you're providing this is absolutely a non-negotiable for me it's like you know, I will be, you invest in me, but invest in you. How do we make that work? Mm. So there are about four or five questions, and I'm happy to share with any of you um, later on, but that for me are things that already, um, you know, big boxes I need to have in the company. And I'm not saying that it's easy to do because quite frankly, sometimes I just need to get the I just need the job because yeah. I need the money. Yeah. So I also have to also look into this when I actually go and interview for a company. But if the company is really where I want to be, I also need to have those checkboxes done. Um, so I don't know if that helps. Yeah, and Catherine, I imagine that the questions you might ask now in your career and the questions you may have asked or potentially have asked when you were a graduate or more junior in your career would be very different as well yeah that's exactly right so when I was um, starting my first job I was just yes I'll do anything (laughs) that's that was the reality it's just I'll do anything I need the experience but when you really truly believe in something and a purpose it's Mm -hmm. actually help you self-sort what's important to you in the workplace and you would ask the right question to make sure that that workplace is supporting you 
Yeah. It's a learning curve, isn't it? Yeah. It is a big I, learning I was going to say, yes, yeah, I'll, I'll just take anything. You know? yes. I was desperate for a job. I'll take anything. <laughs> and it's never acceptable. You know, accept it. You say, I just want the job because I need yeah. the money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I need the experience. So that's, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I think even at that point, because I'm sometimes coaching fairly junior people in going for that career, and even if you're not asking all the questions that you might have in mind, I think that idea of going into the interview, thinking that you're interviewing them just as much as they're interviewing you, you're trying to get a sense. So yeah. you might be able to ask indirect questions to get more of a sense of what it is the place that you need or what, what the place needs to be to meet your needs. Yeah. But I just want to cautious one thing. It's not all about you either. Mm. It's also what you can bring to the company. So if, you know, I'm now at the other, on the other side <laughs> of the fence and I'm hiring people. So yeah. if it's all about you, 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 I'm just like, um, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> can we just uh, reframe this interview a little bit and see, you know, what if I give you all of this, what is it that you would like to bring to the company? <laughs> so... I think it's it's a conversation. It should always be a conversation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Cassia says a bit um, a big red flag, diversity at the top. If they say they're inclusive, but the majority of the execs and seniors are middle aged white males, then <laughs> not. Um, first of all, sorry for calling middle aged white men. I think that there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, I guess that it's, yeah, there, there could be some, you know, big red flags as well. But once again, you'll have a sense of that during the interview. I mean, yeah. I've had a friend who said she was the only uh, lady in the in that um, workplace, but they they were so inclusive and good with her that you know she felt very welcome it just happened perhaps that in the industry yeah, or, that's right. but yeah. I agree that it should be a little bit more yeah. diverse yeah. and that yeah. as you go along you do get a sense of you know what works and what not works for you yeah yeah and while before we leave this kind of theme one difficult question to answer maybe mm -hmm. is how have you dealt with discrimination in the workplace from Tasnim. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> with discrimination. So I have I have been discriminated, but not based, I don't think, on my cultural background. More so because I was in a role that was temporary. Um, and that was always gonna be, you know, someone else's role at some point in time. But the, the way it was dealt with was just pure, just not very good. Um, how did I deal with that? Well, I actually took another opportunity. I just networked in the company and just say, you know what, I think that this role is not going <laughs> to last very long anymore considering the atmosphere and the ambience. Um, so how about I start to seek other opportunities? And I got promoted three times after that. So mm -hmm. it really is um, a lot of it is, about your own self-preservation, I think, you know, instinct, you know, um, trying to. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's know your own values, um, you know, know your own worth. And um, if 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 these people can't seem to value you, then, you know, there's no harm looking for somewhere else. 
But then in the meantime, I would call it out, say it is not okay. Just like the bullying question we, we were mentioning before, it, it was never okay. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. If you're going to leave anyway, you may as well call it. <laughs> Absolutely. And then, you know, hope in, in the hope that you won't happen to anyone else. Yeah, and going maybe a little bit further into that, what would it be? Oh, this is this is a challenging one, but in to go back to my thesis. Yeah. If somebody is discriminatory towards you, can you ask yourself what is what would make someone in that situation behave in such a way? And that might give you the impetus to be able to talk to them. Like what's going on for you? What why would you say that to me? I mean, it's a very scary and you want to make sure that you're safe, number one. Yeah. And I'm a white lady in Australia, completely understand. But that's my thesis is to think, would that work? It assumes that you're talking to someone who is at the same level of understanding as you are, yeah. and it's not true always. Um, there's a certain level of insecurity, you know, that is going on in here and nobody wants to talk about their own weaknesses and insecurities so I would say that while this approach Leonie is very you know ideal, ideal yeah, yeah um it's not in practicality yeah. working yeah um so I've called it out so that you know um mm. lots of denial lots of and did I want to waste my energy on it no I I just knew that I had to get out um but I got better for it. Yeah. I think that's a good follow-up question is how helpful is it going to be if I do confront it? Yeah, true. Um, I suppose it's end of the day is about you, you reconciling with yourself, what works for you. Mm -hmm. So it's important you recognize the feeling, your own feeling, and then you, you know, whether you want to confront it or you don't want to, if you don't want to confront it, then I think this would be a plan. And then if you if you think, oh, I'll just put it behind me, you know, be prepared, it might happen again. So when you happen the second time, is that, you know, is that your limit? Or is that time for you to think about actually leaving? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Maggie. That's great. Selma says, even if it's the director, it's not okay. Mm -hmm. Someone is bullying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Down, you might find that that person actually might need help. So maybe a private communication would be helpful for every person. And again, I, I love what Maggie said too. You know, you got to search in yourself for what what makes sense for you. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Let's move on to communication. What have been the most significant communication challenges for you? Oh, I can go first. Yeah. <laughs> now, my biggest problem is how to do a small talk. So I, I when I first started. You know, growing up in China, sports is not my thing. I, I never played, well, I did play some sport, but I, I was never good at it. So footy, golf, whatever you want to name it, I'm not good at it. So, you know, having how to, for example, over the weekend, um, I would just you know, stay home, do a bit of laundry. That's what I do. I don't do a lot. <laughs> so on Monday, the talk will be, oh, what did you do over the weekend? Did you watch footy? I'll be like, mm, no. So just, just you know, I just try to avoid those conversations because I feel so awkward because I, I, I was, you know, why I was ashamed because I, I didn't know, I know nothing about footy. Mm -hmm. So 
for me, it's always been how do I do small talk? How do I try to, you know, have a meaningful and interesting conversation? If I, we were talking about, you know, a work project, I had no problem because we have a set topic. We can talk about it. But, you know, if we're just talking about social lives, you know, the, my, my life or, you know, what I had when I was mm. young, it, it just been the, that, that's the, the difficult thing for me, how to do it. Mm. And how do you make it interesting and inclusive? That is so common, almost <laughs> in exclusion of every other problem or challenge that people have when they come to me is yeah. how do I have small talk? How do I yeah. engage someone at Friday drinks or even over coffee? <laughs> how do I keep Yeah, exactly. Going? What do you say after you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Maggie. Yeah. And then, you know, what, what, what do you say next? <laughs> You know, and it's led to some big challenges into some in some big organizations about trivia nights and these kind of social things, which are very culturally specific. So yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Catherine, what about you? Well, so I just want to make a difference between language um, challenges and communication challenges. So there's two different things here. Language is something you you know you you learn quite academically, then you practice and that sort of thing. And language should never be a barrier to your own advancement. People who actually want to integrate and connect with you will make that extra effort to try to understand what you're saying. Yeah. And I've lived that five times over where people are saying, oh, I don't know, she's got this broken Chinese, <laughs> this broken Vietnamese and yeah. this broken English and her French is not so good anymore yeah. even. So, um, but people who really genuinely want to connect with you will go over the language barrier, right? So that's that was a challenge perhaps for some, and I mm. hope that today you think that language is never going to be a barrier, right? Mm. The other part to it, communication, is there's a lot of ways to communicate, and communicating non-verbally yeah. um, is important. Your behaviors, your attitude, your eye contact, your warmth, and all of that is part of communication. The challenge about small talk and not being inclusive enough I've met you know footy I'm not into footy I don't know the rules my children try every time and I just I can't understand it so I try to avoid all, all of this but yeah. effectively when you just first walk into a group and that's all they're talking about the best advice I can give you is just say I'm so sorry I cannot contribute to any of this I have not any understanding of footy however I know the best restaurant in town and yep. this is my favorite dish. What about you? <laughs> so there's a few sentences that like this that you can, and I'm happy to share them with you as well, that you can use to actually create. <laughs> yeah. So things such as where did you grow up? Yeah. You know, where did you study? What what do you like the most about your work? And all those very safe questions you mm -hmm. can start asking. Mm -hmm. So right. I hope that Thelma, helps a bit. I love it. So we have two lists from Catherine now. <laughs> and I'd just like to say that the Adelaide Crows lost on the weekend. I don't know to whom, but I did know <laughs> that he did not win. <laughs> Sometimes a little bit of sport passes my ear and it does stick in yeah. my Okay, I'm going to hit one final question because that's all we've got time for. Yeah. yeah. Mark is actually asking a question. Let me just try and summarize this. Uh, yeah, so Zviko is saying, I understand what you mean about small talk, Maggie. I come from a nosy culture. So for me, oversharing with a stranger is totally normal. Learned the hard way that when someone asks how you are, they don't want 
you to describe your whole life's problems. It's so true. People will say to me, how are you? And I won't even, I'll say, good, how are you? Or how are you? You don't even you mean that. You just, you just saying it. <laughs> you didn't really care how I was. <laughs> right. It's more like I'm really just saying hi. Right. Okay. Sure. But it is a different connection. I think we chatted about those things is how people connect yeah. in different ways as well. Yeah. So here's a funny thing I need to say to that because when I arrived in Australia, everyone was asking even strangers in the street saying, how are you going? And I felt the need to stop and say, I'm doing really well. Um, how about you? And it was really strange because people didn't expect that. And I, that was my academic English. If you're being asked how you're going, you answer. You are, I said, how about you? Just pass. And yeah, yeah. So I think that learning, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. the etiquette in the country is helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And Mark says, is part of the problem a different view of the importance of small talk and what is or isn't acceptable as small talk in different cultures and therefore a bias of Western view on this or an Australian view of this? I think, yeah, that's really interesting because we're in Australia and those things mm -hmm. are so embedded. As much as I know how ridiculous it is that Australians ask, how was your weekend? <laughs> but all the time. I, I don't know how to break that habit. Um, do you have a view? I think now, nowadays I'm more comfortable with who I am, I suppose. I can just easily say, you know, what, what, what did you do over the weekend? I didn't do anything. <laughs> so, you know, or I went hiking. Yeah, I just instead of saying, oh, I've watched 30 or tried to fit in, I just say whatever I actually did. Mm -hmm. And it's it actually easier because you're not trying to, to pretend to be someone you're not. And, and you'd be surprised, you know, not many people watch foodie. I, I have no problem with foodie, but um, the thing, the point is, you'd be surprised, you know, you just talk about what you're actually doing, not pretending, you know, you're doing something people want you to be. Mm -hmm. So I talk about, oh, I was watching Korean drama. Do you like that? <laughs> or <laughs> I was, uh, you know, I, I was walking my dog. You know, this is where, where I, I've been. Mm -hmm. So that, that sort of, because it's really hard to be someone you're not. And, you know, it's guess, Maggie, for you particularly, I know hmm. people that work in professional services, yeah. they find themselves in some often very male-dominated environments where they might be the only woman. And so the men are all talking about football and then you're sitting there not talking about football. Like one-on-one, -on -one, it's hmm. okay to break the conversation and, sh and shift directions. But in a group, that's really difficult. I... I feel like I've been in those situations from a French perspective. So I yeah, wonder yeah. how you deal with that, Maggie. Yeah, I, I, I feel you. Um, the way I deal with it is I'll, uh, <laughs> I'm probably more direct. I'll be like, oh, how about I talk about shopping? Did you know that Woolworths was doing 5% discount of blah, blah, blah? <laughs> that's, that's, that's me being me. That's how I do it. <laughs> Literally, that's how I do it. Because yeah. uh, oh. what, what's funny was, um, you know, KPMG, they've got this amazing program where you can get a, a discount for purchasing a gift card. For example, your Woolies, your Coles. I talk about that all the time. So did you know that you can get this Maya gift card for 5% off? Last year was 4% off. <laughs> That's how I do it. <laughs> is, that a, is that a good transition? Please. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I just acknowledge David. No, you you you'll be surprised how how, how my you know um, man colleague like male colleagues they like shopping. You know, shopping, food, music is universal language. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
And David is saying, yeah, I think Aussie colleagues do adjust as well. If they don't. Yeah, they do. Yeah, mm-hmm. that we know much about footy, they tend to ask something else. And I mean, you know, yeah, and what, what's amazing was that they would invite me because, for example, the first company I work with, oh, I love those colleagues. And to today, to that uh, today, I'm forever grateful. And they invite me to footy, and they actually invite me to the game, and they, they tell me, "Oh, this is what it is—a pod or pros." They did try to make me a pros um, fan, though. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's what happened. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, I mean, it's not about compromising yourself but some more more yeah yeah out and if you don't know anything about football I think mm. it's a really interesting transition to say I know nothing about football who do you go for maybe mm. you go for them too and then you've got a friend for life <laughs> um someone's saying yeah don't worry don't worry at all <laughs> thanks Mark <laughs> <laughs> I think Tristan will um vouch for that as well I have another question which isn't exactly on topic I'm not sure if either either of you grew up in a culture that pressured you into acceptable careers but if you did how did you figure out what you actually want to do well mm. this is this requires another hour for me um, but I'm very very quick very fast on this one so yes I grew up in a culture where um, there was two jobs acceptable one is being a doctor and the other one is a lawyer. Ooh. So that was the only to carry. Or maybe actually a teacher was also maybe very Just <laughs> This was hard. So I enrolled at 18. I thought that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a, um, a doctor. So I started mm. my career, um, you know, uh, not my career, sorry. I started my studies as uh, being a medical student and I failed miserably. So um, where do you go from there? Uh, what kind of disappointment are you to your family and country mm-hmm. and every, you know, the eldest of the whole family? Mm-hmm. Um, but that was very liberating. So how did I deal with that? I, I sensed that there was some an opportunity for me to actually finally do what I wanted to do, except that at such a young age, I didn't know. So I thought to myself, if I can't save people, I'm going to make money. So I went into <laughs> economics. Yeah. That's how it happens and yeah. gave myself about five, six years there and thought I don't really want to do that. So I became a freelance graphic designer because oh, I knew I was always going to be a bit yeah, creative. Yeah. And then from there on, I just moved on to doing more and more what I like. But it is a learning curve. Mm-hmm. It requires that you know a lot about yourself. Um, and that's something I wish I knew when I was 20. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I think, by by going and talking to a lot of different people will teach a lot about what you want. Mm-hmm. Whereas before I was more, you know, in a kind of closed environment. So yeah. I always did what my parents wanted me to do. And Maggie, what about you? Oh, I'm a, I, I, I had a different experience. Um, uh, I was the only child in the family because China's one child policy. So um, I, I suppose you know, I have all the freedom to do whatever I want to do. Um, there was no comparison. There was no expectation. So, yeah, you know, just, you know, pursue your dream, whatever you want to do. Mm, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Catherine Lethbridge, Maggie Lee, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's had been so much fun speaking with you and sharing your stories and hearing some questions from other people too. So thanks, everyone, for participating. Thank, thank you. you, guys. Thank you for having us today. Yeah, thank you for everything. Um, and I'd love to have a, you know, 
a group photo of all of you. <laughs> if we can, um, if you're not too shy and you know, oh, yeah, turn the camera on. Camera on and yeah, <laughs> um, and um, well, but we have two pages. Of, yeah, yeah, how, how do we do that? I don't know. Yeah. Which Leo, how do we take a photo? Okay, we'll take a first photo and then we'll a screenshot. Do a screenshot. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. It's technology for you. <laughs> Kelvin. Hold on, I'll do it. Hold on. Okay. Is everybody ready? <laughs> All righty. Perfect. Great. Thank you, everyone. And please, you know, just if you have any more questions, just pop it in. You know, the LinkedIn will be yeah. more than happy yeah. to answer. We know we didn't have a lot of time to answer everyone's questions. Yeah. Yeah. Always would love to know to yeah. have your feedback and yeah, happy to have another chat.